You're listening to Mend, Life at the Seams. Hi, I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Freaky. Each season, we deep dive into a select community to hear their tales in hopes that we may shed some new light of understanding in that given corner of the world. In this season of Mend, we start digging in our own backyards. Beneath the stereotypes and sensationalized portrayals of criminals, greed, and environmental destruction, to the origins of Humboldt County's marijuana culture, the backs of the landers, the activists, the families, the farmers, and the medicine makers. In a landscape that is rapidly shifting, we go back to the beginning to see where we started, where we've come thus far, and hopefully shed some light on the path that's yet to come. So join us. Pull up a chair, pour a glass, and listen. Welcome to our fifth conversation where we speak to Jane, a veteran single woman farmer living and working in the hills of Southern Humboldt. In our time together, we discuss how an educated and ambitious woman who could have, quote, done anything with her talents and drive, chose to spend her life here, caretaking the land and this plant with which she finds a tremendous bond and affinity, calling it at one point a salve for the soul. We dip into the question of what it means to craft a well-lived life, as well as look at the hazards, but also blessings of living independently and remotely in the woods. We tackle some of the gender roles and stereotypes that reside still within this industry. And we dip into some honest, unadulterated talk about money, hard work, privilege, and what it is truly like for a single woman to forge her own way and eke out a life on her own terms. This episode was recorded in the very early spring, and you'll hear reference to a typical day in the life, a reality which is very much influenced, if not completely (laughs) predicated upon the seasons, and one which has no doubt shifted significantly by now when you're hearing this. You'll also notice a little less than stellar audio at times. So again, we recorded this early on in our podcasting adventures, and we have since ironed out many of those kinks. So thank you for your patience as you listen here today. We hope you enjoy. I consider myself an artisanal farmer. I've lived in Humboldt County for going on 20 years. Uh, I came to visit for the first time in 1995 and visited each year subsequently and knew that it was a place that I needed to be. Um, It was the first place I'd ever felt truly at home. Uh, I was born on the East Coast, and I lived on the West Coast for a few years before I came to visit Humboldt County. And uh, as soon as I was a passenger in a car driving deep into the heart of the Emerald Triangle, just looking at the landscape, there was something that resonated very deeply with me, and I knew that I had to be here. And uh, things took a soap operatic turn in my life and uh, my entrance into Humboldt County was rather dramatic, uh, but all for the best ultimately. And uh, I feel like it's a happy story and continues to be, even though there's challenges nonstop. Uh, but I think that's life on this planet. So um, I'm happy to be here and talk with you ladies about my story. Uh, 
the names will be changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> the names will be changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> So I'm curious. So I, I, you could speak to this um, probably better than most people. How would you say that the position you're in as a woman, um, as a farmer, as a woman farmer, is is that a typical position in this neck of the woods, or do you kind of stand out in the crowd here? Um, I I feel like I'm definitely in the minority. there are other women owner farmers, but there's not many of us, not many sole proprietor um, women farmers. And I'm actually living in the wilderness, doing my thing by myself. And I find that that's not so common. Mm. Um, now, and that has its, it's good to it's pros and its cons. Uh, and it just is. That's kind of the position I find myself in. Um, but it's doable, and I've been doing it. Uh, but definitely, it is a male-dominated industry. I mean, it, it's a man's world. James Brown said it. And uh, even in the in the in the weed industry, although I think there's more opportunity for women, maybe that I've seen sort of in my time here historically, like I've seen more sort of female opportunity to own their own businesses maybe than in other industries. I don't, I I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to say that weed is sort of the Shangri-La antidote to patriarchy by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) Um, cause it has, I've dealt with some issues as a woman in the business, but, um, I feel like I've had more opportunities to make my own way in this business than, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I could have been a stockbroker. I could have been a hedge fund manager. I, I mean, I feel like I could have been anything I wanted to be. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I know women face challenges in this world, but I don't feel like, um, you know, I, I I do feel like whatever I set my mind to, I could accomplish if I wanted to. This is what the path I chose, and um, it felt very comfortable to me and very welcoming to me. And and marijuana was there when I really needed her, and she's provided an amazing um, life to me that I don't think that I could have found anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind going back? a bit and telling us your origin story of how you got up to Humboldt um, how you got into this business. Sure. I, um, I was born on the East coast, very far away from Humboldt County. Um, and I kind of have a, a different story than many people here in that, um, because I grew up on the East coast in a, in a certain sort of socioeconomic class. I ended up going to Wellesley College for a time. Uh, and that always raises eyebrows. <laughs> yes, Hillary Clinton and I are fellow alum. <laughs> and then uh, I transferred to college in Florida. I graduated with a double major in psychology and French literature and language. And I subsequently transferred, or I no, actually moved to Seattle, Washington, and, and I went to... Um, graduate school for existential phenomenological psychology and it was during that time that I was in graduate school that I first came to visit Humboldt County and 
and I was ready to abort mission. I had already enrolled in graduate school, but when I first came to Humboldt, I was like, freaks growing weed in the woods? Sign me, where do I sign up? (laughs) This is awesome. I I was always something of a rebel. I never really felt like I fit into society, even though I did my damnedest, you know, I went to graduate school and uh, I sort of tried to sign up for what society told me would be a good role as a model citizen. And uh, whenever I tried to do what I was told, it always went up in flames. So um, <laughs> when I, uh, uh, I came to Humboldt for the first time through my partner, my, he had a friend whose family was living in the Emerald Triangle and we came to visit her and uh, and I was blown away. I, I, the whole community, the scene, the, uh, the land really spoke to me. That was the primary thing that attracted me. The, the weed growing and being able to make a living, a very good living while being out in nature in such a beautiful landscape, that, it, it was the land that primarily attracted me, I have to say, and the lifestyle. Um, and kind of doing your own thing out on your piece of property without having any interference from anyone and not having to answer to anybody to me and still that even through it all. And I wouldn't say that I've been necessarily very financially successful compared to many people (laughs) in the community. The fact that I can be my own boss and, and my time is my own and I set my own schedule to me, that is more valuable than anything else. So, um, so when I saw that opportunity, I was left reeling. And when I came in 95, I knew that I had to be here. So, but I had already charted a course to, I'd committed to go to graduate school. So I did that. And, um, but through it all, I knew that I wanted to end up in Humboldt County. And the whole mental health, uh, community mental health scene that I, I was looking at upon graduating was not that attractive. Uh, I was looking at, uh, you know, paying tens of thousands of dollars for my graduate school degree to then tell people that, um, you know, get a job being paid $6 an hour to tell people their benefits are being cut. Mm -hmm. And then being used sort of by the mental health industry in a way. Mm. So one question that we've been looking at a little bit um, in the context of these, these interviews is kind of how the, the narrative, the stereotype that's out there actually stacks up to the reality. Well, when Annie asked me to do the podcast, I I was immediately interested because um, last fall there was a lot of press around Humboldt County and the weed industry and the sexual exploitation of of women who work in the industry. And, um, you know, I fully understand that that is a side of it and that goes on. But whilst reading all these accounts, I, I didn't relate at all because that's not been my experience at all. I've felt only that I've had amazing opportunities and I've achieved sort of um, financial uh, stability in a way that I don't think I could have in very many places uh, or very many other industries that where I could be my own boss. So it didn't jive with my experience hearing about these stories about women, you know, being 
um, chained up and, and trimming for days or raped while they're trimming. And I mean, I, I don't want to belittle it. And I, I know that this goes on, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I always felt like, well, there's a different story. There's a different side to, to marijuana, to the marijuana industry, to, to the Emerald Triangle that needs to be told. And so I was grateful when Annie asked me if I would participate because um, I feel like my story is very different from all of that. And um, I know many women who clearly that's not been their experience either. And I don't want to belittle that at all. I don't want to come across as a, you know, a hater or, you know, blaming the victim kind of thing or any, any, anything. Cause I know that <clears throat> human trafficking happens, all of it. And it is a side of any business really, you know, I, I don't think it's specific to marijuana. I think right. women are um, a second class citizen on this planet. And so, but it's not just specific to marijuana. You know, when I was reading some of these stories, I'm like, you could go anywhere into any industry and you'd get the same stories. So to have it demonize marijuana and the marijuana industry seemed a little bit ridiculous to me because it's really a story about women being exploited and being um, sort of subjugated by the patriarchy on this planet. It's not just particular to marijuana. I wanted to go back just a little bit to just something about, you know, so one stereotype that comes to mind for me is this notion of it's an easy way to make a living, you know, like it's, it's a weed for crying out loud. You just throw it's it in the ground and just watch it, it come up and <laughs> poof, it's like money falling from heaven. There's absolutely um, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always laugh. Usually dope growing lifestyle that everyone has it in their mind that we just count lean back can count your money it's agriculture okay <laughs> agriculture is hard work it labor intensive there are times when i don't sleep for days because i'm you know it's a work crunch and so to have people have that um attitude <clears throat> about it i think is absolutely ridiculous now i live in the wilderness i live on the side of a mountain um i don't have any flat ground Uh, My physical shape is pretty ridiculous. People are constantly um, guessing my age at much lower than it really is, which uh, when they ask me what my secret is, I tell them I smoke bomb-ass marijuana for breakfast. Um, (laughs) But in addition to that, uh, I work very hard. I put in a lot of physical labor. And, mm-hmm. I, and if people would follow me around for a day, they would drop to their knees and cry. So there's nothing easy about what I do. And, uh, and there's a whole layer of other physical challenges just to get to my property that I, I don't feel like I'm at liberty to discuss. But um, there's absolutely nothing easy about this job. And, and before when it was even more uh, on the criminal side of things, that was another layer to it that made it not easy at all. So for people to say that it's easy money, I mean, (laughs) and I see a lot of people making a lot of money uh, and and maybe it's just because of the path I've chosen and who I am and the fact that I I am doing this sort of solo in a way that, I mean, 
it might be harder for me. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the best business person. Uh, there are easier ways to go about it, but uh, it's hard work. It's hard physical labor. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. Yeah. And, and some people would be like, uh, have asked me, aren't you afraid when it gets legalized? You know, I'm like, this is hard work. Not everybody wants to work this hard, you know, like I'm not that worried about it really ultimately. Yeah. Um, so I, cause I want to go back to something you said earlier, just, I mean, because you're obviously, um, a driven, um, am, ambitious, I would say just from, you know, from hearing you speak, you know, woman who with lots of drive, lots of verve, lots of possibility. And, um, you know, throughout already, you know, we're hearing that you, you chose this, or even maybe there's even a piece of, you know, maybe this feeling to some degree, it chose you. And so I wonder, like you say there, you know, there are easier ways to make money and there, you know, you could have been a a, a rocket scientist. You could have been, you know, like working in any number of fields. (laughs) And so I wonder what it is. And we've spoken already to a little bit of, you know, the autonomy and kind of living on your own terms. I wonder if you could just speak a little bit more, um, if there is more to say just about what it is that that drew you beyond that to this to to knowing that it's this hard knowing that you're not going to make a killing you know you'll make a living why this industry in there? I feel a bond with a marijuana plant i know that's kind of a bee dippy cliche but i really do feel a spiritual connection to marijuana i feel like it's been really amazing medicine for me i've seen it be amazing medicine for other people i strongly believe on a sort of activist spiritual activist level that I've been doing the right thing all along growing marijuana and putting out as much marijuana as I possibly can as a balm for this world, which desperately needs some, um, to find some peace. And, uh, I do feel like it is a legitimate medicine that challenges the pharmaceutical status quo. That has always appealed to me. Um, I feel like it's a very concrete way for me to manifest a durable, good product that has an impact on the world. And Mm -hmm. even on a spiritual level, uh, I take great pride in the product that I make. I smoke it myself. And so I, I try to put out the best product. And I know that that reverberates on many levels out there in the world. And that to me it means that I've lived a life, it's a life well-lived, artful living. And the fact that I can derive a living from my property um, is amazing to me. That the land, I can take care of the land and the land will take care of me. That is, I mean, I can die happy knowing that I have that kind of a connection with the earth. And also um, spiritually, sort of connecting with other human beings in that I can offer up some sort of salve for their soul. Um, and I feel very strongly about that. And, and when I travel and I go around the world, I can immediately connect with people in a way that I don't think many other people can. And I, I really do believe it's some, um, quality of the life that I lead and and the the bond with a marijuana plant that unites people on it's very unifying to go to other cultures and other countries and 
uh, in one place that I went to, um, the, a local person said to me, a head knows a head by the look in the eye. And we bonded immediately. And, and it's, so it's a cross-cultural exchange. Marijuana is, evens out the playing field. And, and, and everyone who smokes weed uh, feels a kinship immediately. And so I appreciate that very much about it. Um, and I feel very grateful that I've been sort of called to do that. Yeah. So yeah. kind of along those lines, but more on the, like the financial side of it, one of the things that I think about is the, the, the financial freedom, but also the, um, I remember, you know, learning about tax resistance as a way, as kind of like a <laughs> social, you know, like your social activism. Yeah, well, I've paid a lot in taxes. <laughs> I mean, uh, you have to be a, to be a member of the club and own property, you have to pay taxes, you know, uh, there's no way around it. Now, like I said, I haven't been as successful as some of the people I've seen around me. So um, I don't think I'm getting away with paying less taxes than maybe some people are out there. But I've, I've worked a job since I was 14. I've been paying into social security since I was 14 years old. So I'm a bit of an anomaly. Uh, in one of our other podcasts, we were talking about the what people are putting back into the community and how, um, you know, one of the things that was brought up is that there's more time to give to the community. There's more reason to give to the well, community. Well, I've, I've never seen such a thriving nonprofit <laughs> community as in the Emerald Triangle. I mean, people really do give back their, to their community. They pay their right. taxes, just not necessarily through the the regular channels of a community exactly. on a local level so that you, you see the results of, you know, I mean, that is unprecedented. I've never seen that in any other community that I've lived in. So that's an awesome side effect, I think for sure. And I think um, it shows sort of social justice and social responsibility that apocryphs get demonized for, oh, apocryphs not paying your taxes. Well, they do, they tithe like any, you know, tight community. Um, and they give back to their community in a, on a nonprofit level that I have never seen before I moved here. And do you think that has to do with the type of people that live here that are willing to do that? Or um, do you think that in general, people given kind of maybe more uh, leeway with their income that they would... I, th I think it's both of those. I think it's also a function of living in the wilderness and living on kind of a homesteading vibe uh people come to rely on their neighbors in a way that maybe urban communities don't when you're sort of out in the wilderness and up against natural forces and all you have is each other and, and there's not the anonymity that's sought after in urban centers there is more sense of a community and i and i think that as we just become commercialized, there has been a fracturing of that. That is one of the detrimental side effects. <laughs> I think the community has, the, with the gold rush mentality, it's, it's kind of impacted the community negatively that way, um, where people don't want to get to know their neighbors because there's been an influx of outsiders moving in at a rate that is unprecedented and people keep to themselves and don't want to get to know their neighbors. And, and so there's, you know, there's always been this risk of getting busted. Don't talk to your neighbors saying, keep to yourself. I don't know. It's a, it's a, 
it's a complex thing. I, it, there is a certain type of person that I think historically has been attracted to the Emerald Triangle and the Emerald Triangle lifestyle. And uh, I can't say that they're more community oriented than uh, when I go to more, I hate to use the term, but third world countries, I find a similar sense of community, but just because you're there clinging to the side of a mountain or you're, <laughs> you're there hurricanes, you know what I mean? Like there's just a, a layer of realness that happens when you're living that close to nature where it necessitates that you you come together. Yeah. Um, this winter in Northern California has been really intense. And I think that it kind of has brought people together. You, you have to, if you, you know, if you want to survive. Um, the cities, it's easier to just call 911 or like rely <laughs> on, you know, the government to come and save you. And when you're out in the country, you're out in a rural area, no one's going to, the, the closest people to you are your immediate neighbors. And they're the ones that are going to respond to your need. If there's a fire, in a forest fire, fire threatens your property, who's going to respond? It's your neighbors. You know, you're not waiting for some outside daddy force to come and save you immediately. So that, I think, is binding to the community. That creates a certain ethos that, that is particular to this area that I think supersedes even marijuana growing. I think in some ways, marijuana growing has made it more divisive in some ways because everyone's afraid of getting has been afraid of getting busted and turning each other in and you know all of that but when push comes to shove you know we're out here surviving and i think um that is a, a greater attractor and pulls people together more than anything i'm curious um jane if you could describe um and I, and I know this is, it, it shifts with the seasons because we're, we're dealing with something that comes from the earth. <laughs> but um, I, I wonder if you could just describe to the, to the outside listener, what does a typical day in the life look like for you when it's go time, when you're working? Um, well, it really, it, it depends, uh, of course, on the time of year. Uh, right now, <clears throat> right now I'm still processing last year's crops. So uh, a lot of time is spent doing that. And in addition, I'm getting all of my beds ready to plant for this year. Uh, I've started seeds and they require maintenance, sort of uh, monitoring their development for this coming year's harvest. Um, uh, I get up, <clears throat> I've given up drinking caffeine, so I no longer have a caffeinated beverage first thing in the morning, and that's kind of painful, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> My body gave out on that one. I drank too much of it. Um, I have dogs that need walking, so that's an early morning activity. What's nice about my lifestyle is, like, I wake up and I decide what I'm going to do that day, and I wake up when I want to. Now, of course, farming in the summer months, it gets really hot here. Yeah, you got to wake up at the crack of dawn and make things happen. So uh, in the wintertime, <clears throat> I sleep a lot. And uh, I know I always kind of beat myself up for it, but then when the when the longer days roll around and I'm getting about six hours of sleep a night, I don't. I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I slept so much in the wintertime. Pretty soon it's going to be spring setup, and that's going to be a lot of work. Uh, just getting everything ready to plant. It gets a little bit cruisier, I want to say, but not really <clears throat> through the summer months while everything's growing. Then there's just the trips to town. Uh, there's bringing product to market. 
there's always something to do. I, I, I feel like I'm booked up probably two weeks at a time. Friends are like, hey, let's do this. And I'm like, hey, you got to call me and make an appointment. <laughs> like, it's two weeks ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, grandma's schedule gets really booked up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of amazing for living in a rural area, but there's always something to do. There's always uh, something to take care of. Managing property is, uh, you know, this is coming. I'm coming up on a lot of weed whacking, <laughs> like hours and hours and hours, hours of weed whacking. This is not that glamorous, but uh, keeps me fit. I got a new Husqvarna last year. That makes things a lot easier. I ought to be a spokesmodel for Husqvarna. <laughs> Hmm. Um, so can we go back a little bit and I'm sorry for covering ground but I'm, I was wondering if, so we've talked about this industry being uh, arguably a male dominated industry but there's also the outlaw nature right the community part of it do you feel like this trade kind of lends itself to less sexism than maybe other industries perhaps because of the outlaw nature or do you not i mean do you not see because then there's i think there's every it's everything i think there's everything and and and, you know women can be their own worst enemies you know there's the whole grow ho prostitute archetype (laughs) um which is very real wanting to be taken care of and um not working that hard i feel like uh, if you want to work very hard there's lots of opportunity as a woman and you can make your own way. Uh, but at the same time, like I have hustled, I have had some really interesting business dealings with men. Um, my best selling weed, I have to say on the black market, my best deals have been with women consistently. Men have always had some sort of degree of ego involved and there's always some layer of bullshit going down. And um, it's always been interesting to note that. And no matter how sort of maybe psychologically imbalanced the woman has been when I've dealt with them, it still seems to flow easier. That's just an observation. The deals I've done with men, which is the whole selling of marijuana is a completely different business from the growing of it, for better or worse. The Some of the crazy interactions I've had with men during uh business deals have been for the record books i think their 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 egos get involved and they can't just do straight business you know and i don't know if that's just who they are or it dealing with me as a woman and so they there's some strange power dynamic that goes on but consistently for a very long time i've uh it, it always blows me away i'll walk away from selling weed and be like that's really funny <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that just happened. And I feel like in some ways I've had to work harder for my cash, you know, like I did men. And I've actually seen it. I've seen, been in the same room where men had deals go way smoother and got paid and maybe my weed was better. And uh, and I, I had to do a little dance or jump through a hoop or maybe I didn't even sell my weed. I got a door slammed in my face, you know, it, it's been kind of a, that's been an interesting part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't let it deter me. I, I, I think I, I've earned respect in, in various situations because I don't take any bullshit. And I think that that's part of it. I'm a straight shooter. 
and I'll call somebody out if I feel like they're fucking me around. So, <clears throat> and I have a stone cold glare, <laughs> <laughs> which serves me well. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I, it's been a kind of a funny and interesting journey through all of that. And part of the whole decriminalizing, legalizing thing, I'm really been hopeful that that element will get taken out of it like can it just be a very simple transaction like here's like and that's why i love it about weed the whole pure capitalism aspect of it like here i have this product and i'm going to slide it over to you and you are going to slide back cash you know what i mean like it should be very simple and elegant and clean and capitalism at its finest, you know, mm. and a sort of meritocracy. Like you like my weed, it's good, great, give me the money. And, and and it has functioned like that, but then other times there's just this amazing amount of ego involved. And I do think that it is partially because of the outlaw culture and um, dudes deriving their identity from being like, you know, these white boy gangster types or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my best smoothest deals have, um, have not been with white people. <laughs> I have to say, um, that's kind of interesting because that's what you hear in the news. No, right? it's true. That's so another thing. And I'm not saying that I have like the most professional, um, cut straight to the chase, no fucking around has not been with like your average California white boy, dude, bro, weed smoking motherfucker. They are really invested in their ego. And I think there's some degree of white male phallic insufficiency that comes into play. And that has been really frustrating to me to navigate through that. And uh, and I, the trips that have been laid on me and the, the mind games, from a certain perspective, I can stand back and be like, wow, this is this really happening, you know, and afterwards it makes a good story and I can laugh about it. But in the moment, it's like, well, can we just fucking make this happen and I can get paid and we can go about our business, you know? I mean, I've had guys try to manipulate me by telling me about the business or like I don't know and clearly I've been in the business longer than they I mean it's just it's it's a very like oh little lady let me tell you kind of stuff just kind of the same thing that permeates a lot of aspects of culture you know like why do we have to presuppose that as women we have to have a daddy boss um, and, and that is part of the marijuana culture that has appealed to me because I can make my own way. I, I am my own boss. I do what I want and, and I don't answer to anybody. So I think it's all things at once. You know, I, I think the sexism is there, but I've managed to steer around it. Uh, you know, it's, and I've had amazing opportunities to make my own way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's female CEOs in every sector of every, right. you know, you just, it's the same story all over. You just got to be true to yourself and, and not be dissuaded or, I mean, patriarchy is a thing. Sexism is a thing. I think how you choose to react to it. And if you let it dissuade you, and I think 
you know, like women can be their own worst enemies by pandering to the paradigms or to the the rigid gender paradigms that patriarchy um, programs people. You have to think for yourself. You have to be able to think Mm -hmm. outside of the box. When people try to put me into a box, I'm so not boxable that I just kind of laugh at them. So I have always tried to sort of transcend sexism and not let it affect me. And I will be the last person to play the, oh, I'm being treated this way because I'm a woman. Uh, It's always actually, I've been in denial about it, I think, more often than not. Like, really, is this person really treating me in this sexist manner like i i don't want to believe it when it's actually happening because it seems so old-fashioned right, I was like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, really yeah. we're here you know so i think part of the battle of defeating it is not playing into it or mm-hmm. you know even i don't want to say act like it's not there but just transcend it just be above it don't make it a thing don't be the other side of the dynamic yeah and and be smart about what you do like that was honestly one of me one of my um takes on you know the stuff from last year and you know what women were being put through i definitely like that was one of my reactions was don't hearing the story out into yeah. the fucking woods <laughs> with somebody you just you don't know on the street yeah. it's common sense it's common sense i was a wild child at 14 years old i was roaming the streets of new york city i had very little parental supervision and uh, saw a lot. I lived fast at a very young age. And, um, and I learned that you don't make yourself a victim. You, you know, you, you hold yourself a certain way. You walk a certain way. You pay attention. You're looking over your shoulder. Because I always hungered for life experience. And to get life experience... You have to kind of push the edge. And I'm always been about pushing the edge and always been about intensity and, um, you know, trying to, to live as hard and fast and as artfully as I could. And I think that that is part of why I came to Humboldt County because the lifestyle when I arrived really spoke to that. Um, just living on the edge nature-wise, living on the edge culturally in an outlaw culture, Uh, living on the edge as a woman in this culture, um, uh, where, sure enough, yeah, if you don't pay attention, probably bad shit can happen to you. But that is the case anywhere as a woman. You know, we are the second sex, Simone de Beauvoir. We are the weaker sex. So if you're not paying attention, if you put yourself in dire circumstances, dire things will happen to you. You have to be smart. So when I was hearing those stories, the same stories last fall, and... Because I have been that woman. I have gone cold to, I mean, I'm not totally cold. I haven't been picked up off the street, you know, looking for work. I always knew friends who knew friends and, you know, got recommendations. I never like was hitchhiking or held up a cardboard sign in town and got picked up by a completely random person I never met before. I think that's completely um, stupid and outrageous and uh, putting yourself in unnecessary danger. Um, But I I did enter cold a community. I uh, I was actually um, honeymooning in Humboldt County and got ditched on my honeymoon by my husband 
that's my entrance into Humboldt County, which is rather extreme in and of itself. And when I saw an astrologer, and everybody's going to be like, woo, Northern California, saw an astrologer. When I saw an astrologer and told her the story, she was like, oh, well, um, you got married to the land. And I very much felt like that, like mm. th- that's what happened. But um, I w- was definitely deposited on the edge of the universe. But it was very much by my own choice as well. I wasn't sort of victimized and left bereft in the middle of the woods. I knew two years before that I wanted to be here. And um, that's that was how it happened. Um, I never would have gotten here if it wasn't for my husband. Um, It was my boyfriend for many years. And then my husband, it, it was his friends that we were visiting the first time. So, um, he did me a great favor ultimately by abandoning me on our honeymoon. <laughs> Even though it was a little painful at the time and uh, untoward. Dramatic. Dramatic. Mm. Yeah, it makes a good story. Now. If you could... <laughs> if you could single-handedly dismantle one of the predominant myths surrounding this culture, which one would you choose to take down? What do you want people from the outside looking in to know about this culture that they, they don't have windows in to see? Well, I'm glad that you spoke earlier to the whole leisurely counter money lifestyle because it is very hard work. It's grueling. And uh, that's a big myth. Um, <clears throat> I know people in the city who are frequently like, what do you do up there? And uh, it's homesteading people. Okay. There's never not something to do. <laughs> There's always something to do. There's always something to fix. There's always some chore to, to perform. There's always errands to run. There's always, you know, five stops to make in five to 10 stops to make in town to make sure you have everything when you bring back to your property. Um, If you have animals or livestock that you're taking care of simultaneously, that's a a whole other thing. Um, And then there's a wild card. You never know. People are like, oh, it must be so peaceful living out in the woods. Let me tell you, you never know down the road. I live at the end of a dead end road. And, oh, wait, oh, the power, a tree came down. There's power lines down in my driveway. I mean, you never know what's going to come at you. Oh, there's landslides. Oh, there's tweakers. Oh, um, who, you know, who's in the driveway now wanting to talk about something? You just never, ever know what's going to be coming down the road that you're going to have to deal with next. And so that's a big, oh, it's this idyllic, serene, peaceful Shangri-La. I mean, it can be that, and some days it is that, and then some days it's very much not that, and you have to be ready at any moment to deal with anything. And I don't, I don't think people um, in a sort of more cultivated, refined, hermetically sealed life can uh, understand that. There's a wildness to it hmm. that... Um, you know, oh, there's a bear in my driveway. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, there's a rabid skunk chasing my dog around that I, you know, that I have to know. <laughs> and, that, and that's just, that's just living out in the woods. That's not even the, with dealing with marijuana, like, and that's a whole, 
I mean, I call myself pot when like, what does the marijuana mean in like uh, constantly during growing season? It's all um, about the marijuana and what the marijuana wants and what will please the marijuana and what the, what I got to do next for the marijuana. And, um, <laughs> you know, I really feel like I am servant of this plant. Like what an intelligent entity this thing is that has me working double time. She got me working day and night to quote the Michael Jackson song. Like, I, I, I am working for this bitch and that's okay. I like that. It keeps me fit and she's taking very good care of me, but it is a 24 seven job and uh, it's not for everyone. It's not for the faint of heart. Hmm. I have a, a friend who's a, um, a biologist and I remember him coming to visit here and just, you know, kind of getting some insights into the, the culture here. And he, and he, we were talking a little bit, there's the, um, I think it's the botany of desire. Do you know that one? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, Michael Pollan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the intelligence of plants. Yeah, nails right? it. Nails it. Exactly. And my friend came yeah. up who is a biologist. He's like, Oh my God, it's totally that you guys are, this plant is like, it's genius. You guys Servants. are all like doing yeah. backflips in the name of this plant, <laughs> you know, to like, propagate. Yeah, it is working its will in the world via, you know, it, these servants that it is chosen. It's strong consciousness. It yeah. really is. And I, I mean, and I am so glad I that I am a humble servant and I try to serve her as best that she, you know, so she desires whatever she wants. Um, mm. It is hard work, though. I feel like a monk and, uh, and sort of, you know, the monastery of one. Yeah. Um, and that's that's okay <clears throat> there are sacrifices that i made uh, i don't you know i have to work to have a social life because i live pretty far out there um it, it's a whole other job it's another job just to kind of maintain my social connections and feel like i'm uh, a person in the world and that has its own set of challenges um because choosing to live so far out in the wilderness, uh, it's just, um, you know, travel time and having that many commitments on a property, it really, um, it gets difficult sometimes. And as a single woman, you know, I'm not dead yet. I, I haven't dried up yet. <laughs> so I like, like a partner and, you know, I, I frequently talk about it with some of my friends. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Just cash in and sell my property and move to a suburban area, just hoping I can meet some douchebag guy and cook dinner for him every night. No, I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> and then people are like, oh, online dating, you know, how about that? And that's a ridiculous thought. Um, yeah, I'm going to just put myself out there on a uh, on a dating site and be like, yes, I grow weed, you know. Uh, that's a challenge as a single woman yeah, that I face. With, with well, I'm not going to do it. It's not an option, you know. <laughs> like, especially with this internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, what she said. Uh, so that's a whole interesting set of problems, conundrum, just trying to maintain the social life and, and be, uh, a keep that part of my life vital. Yeah. Um, so one thing 
Annie and I have been kind of been looking at is just, you know, she's coming at this from, you know, she's got that her background in anthropology. And so you kind of go in and you look at kind of the life cycle of a particular community or tribe or group. And one thing that came up when we sat down with one another was this idea that we're kind of documenting a dying tribe in a way, just with legalization coming in. And, and I mean, we've watched it, right? Those of us who've lived here for a while, we have seen this industry turn into an industry, right? I mean, like it went from like, you know, mom and pop back to the land farms to all of a sudden it's like, there's some big business happening um, and there's the whole game, you know, there's the good, bad, the ugly. So what do you, how do you feel as someone who has come up from this kind of like, you know, the, the heart of, um, what it was and has watched it morph how, and you've spoken a little bit about it, but how, how do you see this next, um, wave unfolding and how do you, how do you intend to write that? Um, well, um, I've done everything over the last year to come into compliance. Um, I've submitted my permit uh, for my cultivation application with the county. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gambling. I don't know. I'm very small time. Uh, I don't know how or if it's um, doable for me to compete as the market expands and gets taken over by corporate interests. It, it concerns me, but I feel like I had to try. Yeah. Um, as I saw this kind of sea tide, see the sea change, um, I felt like I had to be the change I wanted to see. And things kind of lined up in a, in a way that it seemed like the right thing to do. I sunk a lot of money into it, and I'm, I'm not very done. I need to make infrastructure alterations to my property and Compliance comes with, you know, this whole ridiculous um, set of bureaucratic hoops to jump through. And but the way I see it is, in some ways, I'm trading in one set dresser for another. You know, like I, excuse me. There's some things that I will give up that stressed me out, but then there's new ones to stress me out. So we'll see. Uh, I think there's equity in the brand. Like I've been working hard building the Humboldt name along with everybody else here. And I'm going to cash in on that um, as much as I can. And Humboldt County had the first uh, sort of regulatory framework in place. And I think ultimately they are making it doable for smaller farmers. The permit costs are really reasonable compared to other places in the country. I do think that they are trying to look out for the smaller farmer as much as they can. This humble uniqueness, I mean, is it all based in just this outlaw marijuana industry or does it go deeper than that? Is it going to survive this uh, change? Sure. You know, I can't see the future. Everything transforms. I don't think you can <clears throat> fix a moment in time. It's going to be different no matter what. And I think it already is different. Just, I mean, it's 20 years I've lived here. Uh, there's more people here. Uh, there's changes to the culture since I've been here. <clears throat> I 
think um, for good and bad. I don't, I am a real uh, enemy of nostalgia. I don't think that nostalgia serves anyone because I think it's a false sentiment. Um, there were good things about the past in Humboldt County and there are some really bad things, you know? And so <clears throat> as things transform, I'm hoping that the good things <clears throat> continue or there's more new good things that happen. Uh, I would like to see a certain amount of the lifestyle preserved uh, like that people can come and create something from nothing. You know, I came with nothing and um, have achieved a fair amount, you know. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I have my own property and I do what I want. And, uh, That's the American dream right there. It is, <laughs> you know, manifest destiny. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that kind of opportunity can be preserved. Well, eventually the land's going to get all bought out. <laughs> it it, it is out. right now. There's a land grab. <laughs> uh, your land prices are skyrocketing. Uh-huh. That's the other side of it, too. I, I mean, I am pursuing compliance partially because I want to keep on doing what I'm doing, and I believe in what I'm doing, and I believe in premium sun-grown products on, you know, in a pristine environment. But uh, as a long-term business person, I see the value in it. If I get my permit, it's going to make the value of my property skyrocket. Ostensibly, that's a good thing. And I, it makes good business sense to do that. Um, now, I don't know if that's a bubble that will pop eventually. Uh, I wasn't um, a fan of Prop 64. I voted against it. So I voted against it because I thought, felt like it's a corporate takeover and wasn't making enough um, allowances for smaller farmers. But then given the other sort of larger national political climate, I was glad that it passed. Um, We'll see how it shakes out. But, uh, you know, I'd like to keep on doing what I'm doing, a fair wage for it. I love that you've touched on some of the struggles and some of the nitty gritty and some of the bullshit. You know, I think you've given us just such a beautiful holistic picture of like what it is to really be in the trenches, you know, and especially since you work all, all the trenches, right? I mean, you're not only loving up on this plant, you know, you're also, you're the woman who's sitting at the table, like, you know, with the, the poker face stare, like, no, seriously, you're going to pay me what my product is worth. I love that you've given us that full gamut of the experience. And, and I think it's a testament to, I, you you probably could rule a country if you if that was something you chose to do. You could be the one waving the magic wand and decide what of this culture moves forward and what gets left behind. What is the one thing that you would want to see preserved as this thing shifts and evolves so rapidly? I would like to see the community uh, remain intact and um, supportive of each other. Um, and I would like to see the environmental degradation reduced and minimized. I think through it all, that is one of the biggest guiding principles of legalization <clears throat> that, um, you know, compliance is ultimately, and the bureaucratic hoops we have to jump through is ultimately for the best. 
and to create the best, most environmentally friendly product. Um, and I can get behind that, you know, being the change you want to see. What I hope stays, like I said, is the community helping each other out and, um, and being able to and, and uh, being able to make a good living, you know, and, and ha enjoy um, clean water and clean air, and abundant sunshine when the sun comes out again. <laughs> uh, and, and being able to raise children in an environment that uh, where they have an appreciation for nature. People are so disconnected on this planet from that right now and it's a big part of the problem yeah it is the tiniest sliver of ritual the rhythmic beep beep of reminder when the day is yet dark when other warm bodies stay nestled in their chosen cocoons for another hour maybe more i rise a promise that conjoins my past and future self in this one tentative moment, deciding once again, just how shall I be? Before the light dawns and coffee begins to do its enticing little song inside the pot, I take my body through the undulations of an agreement, a previously set forth remedy and recipe for what ails me and what calls to me as well. I reflect upon the words, start at the center and build concentric circles around it. But what is in the middle, at the nexus, at the heart? Your body and your head and the most basic tools at your disposal. What you feed yourself on the cellular level of things. Rippling out into the outer layers of friends and family and work and play and all the ways to spend your time and money and energy, your days. One does not build a life from the outside in, this model states. You craft it from the meek, soft center and blossom from the inside out. The Sanskrit word bija is one I like to carry with me and toss about at will. It literally translates to seed. And while the natural world around me is attending to the busy work of setting down roots, condensing itself into the soil and working its way up to their full expression in the form of flowers and magnificent leaves, I dip down a moment deeper into my own layers, my own soil, to peer into the seeds anchored there, to call to what's wanting to sprout forth. Practice and all is coming, saith the guru. Tend to me, and all will grow, denotes the seed. My tiny craft of ritual invites me back to the heartbeat, the pulse, to my own dark, humble seed, which contains in it all the information needed to bloom as only I can do. If you like what we're doing here at MEND Podcast, and you haven't already, Please take a moment to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. We are now on Stitcher and will be a weekly podcast, so look for us every Tuesday on either iTunes or Stitcher. We'd love to hear feedback about how we're doing. We hope you enjoyed these tales from a local female farmer, and we look forward to seeing you next week.